Happy Veterans Day. Appreciate all of our veterans and all of our first responders and all of you who serve in our community in so many different capacities, uh, law enforcement, rescue, um, fire departments, and so many other ways that, that, that you serve. We are very thankful for you. And it's great to have Scout Troop 630 here. And also Troop 603, right? PAC 603. Um, I want to share with you some letters that were written to pastors. This is from Arnold. Arnold is eight. Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. This is from Patty. <clears throat> Dear Pastor, I'm sorry I can't leave more money in the plate, but my father didn't give me a raise in my allowance. Could you have a sermon about a raise in my allowance? <laughs> this is from Stephen. He's eight. Um, Dear Pastor, I would like to go to heaven someday because I know my brother won't be there. That's it, pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah mom's dad's got some work there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you got brothers and sisters like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is, this is, now this one may be good. This, this, is, this might end up in a committee meeting somewhere. Uh, dear Pastor, this is from Lorraine, age nine. Dear Pastor, I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. <laughs> I think they're going. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> oh, I love this one. Dear Pastor, Alexander, age 10. Uh, please say a prayer for our Little League team. We need God's help. Or a new pitcher. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Um, here's, here's one that's cute Marie H. Nye Dear Pastor how does God know the good people from the bad people D do you tell him or, or does he read about it in the newspapers <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's another one Dear Pastor Ralph age 11 he says I, I like your sermons on Sunday especially when it is finished <laughs> yeah yeah that's good well, how's your hurried up busy life going? Huh? How are you doing? Anybody here have the hurried life? The hurried busy life? Okay. Um, it's just the time that we are in, we say, right? Uh, it's, I mean, we live in a hurry up life. We, we hurry up here and we hurry to there. And if you have children, you're telling your kids, you, we need to do what? Need to hurry up and... And it's, you know, we're very conscious of time and we're very, and, and if you're like me, you like to see how many things you can get done at one time, right? So that somehow you have this in your mind that you've got some free time, but it doesn't seem to work that way. It, it is the hurried life. And that's what I want to talk about because as we look at, at the reality of the hurried life, a lot of research is going into it because this is 
this is what defines our age. And busy defines our age. Matter of fact, the term busy itself, research is finding that the term busy itself is a new status symbol. Now think of that. It is a status symbol. And obviously it's better than being idle, isn't it? I'd rather be busy than to be idle. But that's usually not the case for most of us. Most of us feel too busy. And we feel overwhelmed with the busyness that's going around us. And that's characteristic of the time that we're in. One study says that we're spending five hours a day, University of Lan Lancaster, this was an article I read, in corporate culture, that people spend five hours a day on their phone. Think of that. We're on an always, and this article said, we're always on an always-on corporate culture. And with that, we want to do more and so forth. The average person in one day's time checks their phone 80 times. Say that with me. 80. 80 times. That's once, once every 12 minutes in a day. Now, busy fuels hurried up living. You know, if you're looking at a hurry-up life, then busy is the fuel for the hurry-up life. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some, uh, some new terms, and this is one that I came across this week, and I had never heard this term. I always use the word frantic, but this word is frenetic, and it's, it's, a, it's a word that describes the time that we're in. It is a, a frenetic life. And the frenetic life is marked by fast and energetic. It is disordered. Now get that. It is disordered and it is anxiety laden. In other words, it's filled with stress. And all of those things kind of coalesce together to make up a frenetic kind of life. And you say, that's me. It's like, yeah, I'm busy, but it's disordered, and I don't feel like that it's together, and it is driven by stress and by anxiety, which is the time that we're, it's the time that we're in today. <clears throat> I find that um, Truett Cathy, who's owner of Chick-fil-A, has always fascinated me as a business owner. Matter of fact, everything that I read about Chick-fil-A, they're doing very, very well. Um, but you know one of the things that they do uh, is that they take Sundays off. There are Sundays that the fryers aren't working. There are Sundays that their machines, or the, their toasting machines don't are not working. There's time that their people are not on the job. There is an intentional day of rest and relaxation away from the stress of six other days of the week. Now, where did Truett Cathy get that idea? Well, amazingly, he got it from the Bible. You know, God doesn't have to rest. He creates, he creates all that he did in six days, and then on the seventh day, or, and on the seventh day, he rested, right? He didn't have to do that. Does God ever get exhausted? No, I couldn't imagine God getting exhausted. But he rests. He rested. Why? 
because God he, he examples the reality of our lives needing rest. And, and you're in a great place being in church on Sunday morning. Because just take you a deep breath, a big deep breath. Now don't close your eyes. Matter of fact, I will try to yell a few times during this message just to keep you awake. Um, the frenetic life. You say, man, that, that describes me. Well, you, you say, is it really that bad? Well, let me tell you. Here's, here's why. Here, here's where, what this leads to. It leads us to running our lives on empty emotionally. In other words, busy fuels hurry, and here's the domino effect. Busy fuels hurry, hurry makes empty, and emptiness forfeits meaning. That's the domino effect. So you say, well, I'm just busy, and everybody's busy, and, and I know. But do you know that depression is higher now than ever? People aren't happy because you're busy doesn't mean that you're happier. Does it? Matter of fact, some of you may be very busy and not happy. And the reality of it is that busy fuels hurry, hurry makes empty, and emptiness, when you run on empty, what you do on the surface level activities lose their meaning. Matter of fact, could it be that God intends it that way? That we not neglect the deeper needs of the soul. But that we in actuality allow the soul to catch up with our lives and, and bring meaning to our activities. You know, you can be filled, and I have been there before, even with church activities. You can have church activities going here and doing this and going here and going there and doing this and doing that and doing this and this and all kinds of great activities without meaning. And because it is stamped religious doesn't necessarily mean that it has meaning. It's just a religious activity. Now, Jesus deals with this, believe it or not. Jesus actually deals with, with the reality of this in John chapter 2. We looked last week in message 1 how, to, how to, to set the reset button on the busy life. I gave you four things and felt bad about it. I'm going to give you one thing and feel better about it. So, Jesus is going, this is the very first recorded miracle in the Gospel of John. John was the youngest of all the disciples. He was the youngest of all the disciples. So John writes about Jesus' very first miracle. And it's in an odd place because it's, it's in Cana of Galilee. Cana of Galilee is like the podunk town, okay? It's just like, oh, it, it barely made it on the map. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding. Now, these weddings were a big, big deal in Jewish culture. Uh, these things, these weddings lasted, be thankful, uh, dads. They lasted eight days, Joy. Can you imagine an eight-day wedding? 
<laughs> Y'all didn't hear him. He said, I couldn't imagine an eight-month wedding. <laughs> okay. Eight days. And so, here's, here's the way the Jewish wedding would go. The Jewish wedding would go something like this. They would, <clears throat> they would, uh, they would gather at, at the bride's home, and then they would make their way to the groom's house through the town, announcing that there was actually going to be a ceremony. It was the groom's responsibility of the groom's parents to make sure that they had food and drink and eat for those eight days. And I will tell you, it would have gotten posted on social media if there had been, um, well, if it hadn't been supplied very well. You know, if if they ran out of uh, if they ran out of something, it would have been posted. I can't believe that. You know, so I mean, this is, there's a, there's an intense kind of situation here. Jesus goes to this wedding along with his disciples, and it was a joy-filled occasion. So it was on the third day at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. This was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to this. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, notice what he calls her. He didn't call her mom. He's <laughs> a woman. What, what, does, what does your concern have to do with me? He knew what she was getting at. It was one of those looks. It was one of those looks. They're, you know, they're, they're out of liquid refreshment. Um, and my hour has not yet come, Jesus said. Notice verse 5. His mother said to the servants, what he, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone. It's very interesting. There were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 30, 20 to 30 gallons apiece. So there was these water pots. And what these water pots were used for was for Jewish purification rituals they would come in and they would they would literally wash their hands it was a it was a part of the and it was a religious ritual it was also a good cleanliness uh, to have clean hands and so forth but and also they would wash each other's feet with these with with uh, with with the water from these pots it was purification Jesus said to them fill the water pots with water they take six of them out. They fill them up to the brim. He said to them, go draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And notice what happened. When the master of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine. And did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. For the guest, and then the inferior wine later. But you have kept the good wine until now. Now, I mean, th there is so much analogy in this passage that that we begin to look at what is what is actually going on here. Well, Jesus is 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 bringing 
back some joy into a very empty situation. And he's also showing that the reality of that there is a new joy that is on the scene. And that new joy is personal himself. It is God literally with people. Jesus presented himself as the new temple. The new temple of God. So, the best that Judaism offered was empty water pots and and water for purification ritual. Jesus comes to bring joy. That's, I mean, that's implicit through, through this whole story. Through this whole narrative, Jesus... This is happening, this religious work is happening not in the epicenter of Jerusalem, but on the outskirts in Cana of Galilee where you wouldn't expect too many religious folks to be. And that's where Jesus goes. Jesus goes to the highways and the hedges and he finds empty water pots. Empty water pots. And doesn't it sound a lot like empty lives? Because you have empty water pots and you have empty lives. And busyness empties our lives. We looked at the domino effect of it. Emptiness... Hurry empties our lives. And so we're, we're in, in the heat of our work. We're in the heat of our life. We're in the heat of the reality of our life. And we are searching for meaning. And we're searching for purpose. And we're searching for something greater than ourselves. And God comes down in the flesh and gives us Himself and says... There is a new king on who has arrived. And he sits in the place of the temple of your heart to bring a greater joy. The power and reality is, is that the best that religious that religion itself can offer is often empty. But what God comes to offer in a greater, in, in a greater massive overflowing way is joy. Now, now we're getting somewhere. It's, it's one thing to live an empty life and saying, my life is empty. I don't know if you've ever come to that in your own experience in life. But you say, you know what, I, I, it's just losing meaning. I've got some great news for some of you who are in that place in your life at this moment. Because your life is filled up with all the trappings that this world and this culture has to offer. And Jesus comes on the scene today to let you, you know, in His Word to let us know that there is reality to life and reality for the time that we're living in and a new joy that He wants us to live in and walk in. And the question is, how do you tap into that? Because your lives are busy. Your mind is distracted. 
You've got a million and one things going through your mind that you need to do. And some of you are sitting in church and you're saying, I hope you're not writing your to-do list. Because the power and reality is that Jesus wants you to be aware of Him in the moment. Now, I gave you, I, gave you, I told you I was going to give you a one-point sermon. Here's, here's what it's going to be. You see, the presence of Jesus brings us joy. Jesus is the source of joy what is otherwise empty. This scenario changed completely. And this was Jesus' first big miracle because it said that they beheld the glory of God in Christ. And so they recognized that, that Jesus come to do something that was life-altering and life-changing in a positive way to bring meaning. You say, man, I would like some of that. <laughs> well, the source is Jesus. The source is a personal relationship with Christ. That's the source. The source is an intimacy with your Creator. Of knowing your Creator personally and intimately. Being connected with Him, first of all, and knowing that He is your Savior and Lord, knowing that your sins are forgiven and that He has saved you. But secondly, in walking in fellowship with Him on a day-in, day-out basis. That is the source of joy. So, we looked at Martha and Mary experience last week. You remember Jesus went to their home and they invited Jesus into their home. Martha did. And Mary or Martha's in the kitchen trying to get the house cleaned and straightened up and trying to cook a meal and doing all this thing. And Jesus is in the home and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to Jesus. And Mary, uh, Martha gets, gets, gets very upset with, uh, with, uh, with Mary because Mary's just sitting there in the stool of do-nothing. When the, there's housework to be done, we have a house guest over, and 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 don't you? See, and so she comes to Jesus and says, "Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that that we've got all this work here to do, and we're here to serve you? We're here to serve you. You're in, you're our house guest, and I'm in here doing it alone. And what did Jesus tell? I love it. Jesus tells." Uh, Jesus tells uh, tells Martha, Martha, Martha. He says, "You're you're distracted. You're you are cumbered about with all this stuff. You're you're worrying. You're fretting. You're frenzied. You're frenetic, <laughs> right? You're frenetic." He says, M "Mary has chosen the good part. What was the good part? Here's the good part. Here's the reset button." Now, I want to tell you, this one reset button will bring, will bring back meaning to every single aspect of your life. And it will also keep you from sinning. Think about that. Enjoying the presence of Christ in the present moment. In other words, don't miss God.
in the surface level activities. You pause. And you recognize that the enjoyment that God brings in the moment is drawing from a deeper well of joy. Did you get that? All of a sudden, he recognized, Mary recognized, she recognized, that she was enjoying the presence of Christ and all the things that Martha was so worried about, she was oblivious to. She was with Jesus in the moment. Now, I've got a confession to make. I am not always in the moment. How about you? Well, let me just ask you so you can feel like you've been to church today. Has anybody ever been talking to you and they were not listening? Huh? And you knew it? I mean, they got this glazed over look in their eyes. You know? No, I, I see some husbands and wives kind of Go ahead and let's just go ahead and take one minute and discuss it. Okay, let's just talk about it. It's easy, isn't it? I mean, seriously, I mean, your phone beeps. I'm telling you, I think the phone is probably the worst thing for a marriage. Me and Teresa have great conversations over the phone. And, uh, but, uh, but you know here's the deal with the phone when it beeps my mind is doing what I'm one of those 12 minute kind of people all of a sudden all of a sudden and we don't realize it what we're doing is we're we are we, we through our distraction we are not present in the moment our mind is being conditioned to be wherever now you feeling good about yourself I'm like, man, I, I've got to do better than this. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a pastor. People expect their pastor to do what? Come on. Just be in the moment. Just go ahead and tell me, Greg, you need to do better. Right? You need to do better. you got to listen. Be in the moment. And I'm, I'll, I'll try. But I need help. Enjoying, enjoying the presence of Christ in the present moment. Now, sometimes that's hard, especially if you're in pain. Emotional pain. You're dealing with something. Something broken in your heart or broken in your life. Even physical pain. It's difficult to do. Here's the deal. Martha Mary, Martha opened up her home to serve Jesus, to serve His kingdom purposes. Mary opened up the door of her heart to receive Christ's kingly presence. Jesus said, you're the kingdom of God. You're the kingdom of heaven. The reality of it is, is, is that Christ the King is living in your heart. Now think of this, man, I could not to preach on this. The reality of Jesus Christ the King is walking in your life when you're aware of Him. So when you go to your workplace, 
all of a sudden, Christ, a representative of Christ and his kingdom is living on the inside of you. You are bringing Christ's kingdom to bear. Isn't that good? So in your workplace, how about in those tense situations of conflict? All of a sudden, there's a new king that's on the throne. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I, this, when this one opened up to me a few years back, it was really good because I found myself, I, wasn't, I was being less controlled by emotions. My emotions are more controlled by the king. Here's what happens, it says, but they said that and, and it would rise up within me. An emotion. You respond. You say something, and it feels good. Right? <laughs> right? And it feels good. And then all of a sudden, you feel bad. And you say, and you, go, you start stepping it back, and you say, I shouldn't have said that. Then the Holy Spirit starts working on you. You ought to do better than that, and you claim to be a preacher. You know? <laughs> you know? So, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, when there's a new king on the throne, now get this, the new king on the throne, the reality of the king is, Jesus said, yeah, Greg, they said those things about me too. Yeah, I, I, I felt the barbs, I, I, I felt the reality. Of the crown of thorns. Uh, but know that there was an empty tomb. But it hurts. Yeah. Uh, the nail prints. Yeah. The king rose from the dead that you and have life and have it to the fullest <laughs> that's pretty good stuff the, the power and reality then is that you don't have to live life a victim a victim to circumstance a victim to what is going on to around you or a victim to what people could say or, or a victim to even your own emotions or your own depression or your own whatever because there's a greater king that is living on the inside of your temple and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a new king on the throne and his name is Christ. Are you allowing him to be the Lord? Because when he does, Jesus comes to bring fulfillment in our lives and to bring joy. So emptiness wears us out. It runs us down. It leaves us down to the nubs of life. And Jesus comes that we have life and have it in the fullest. Now here's how you begin to build on that. Okay, Here's how you do it. Let's look at these. The presence of Christ, you begin to enjoy the presence of Christ. And when you enjoy the presence of Christ, it brings joy in your life. And then where you find joy, there's the building block of strength. All of a sudden, you will find that you'll walk in a new strength in life. 
That's the power and reality of it. Now, there's the Bible, there's scripture to all this. So, I want to give you kind of four little aspects of this that you look at. So, you look first of all at the presence of Christ. What I would begin to do is this, is I would begin to say, okay, Lord, you, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, I'm trying to find some meaning in some of these activities in my life. Because let me just, let's just face it. You get up and go to work on Monday morning or wherever, whenever it is that you go to work. And you take a big deep breath and you say, well, i got to go to work. Right? Because your work may be difficult. You know, I, I think of folks here who have difficult, difficult jobs. And, and it's not like that you feel like getting up and going to work every Monday morning. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you do with that with church, that you're fine there. But there is a, you know, we can even get tired with church. Anybody? No, nobody ain't going to say a word. Let me tell you why. Oh, I know what happens. I've been there. I've got the t-shirt. And I want to tell you, I've done church any way you want to do it. Any way you want to do it. I've done high church, low church, and in-between church. Okay? High church where there's a lot of liturgy and, and, and all kinds of, uh, you know, all, all kinds of all the things. And I've done, I've, done the, I've done low church where it's been, you know, it's just been, whoa! And I've done the middle church and, I, I'm, you know, kind of right here, you know, it's just, this is middle church. Just so you know where you're at today. You're in middle church. Okay, we're we're in middle church. And and you come and you know, okay, we're gonna sing two or three songs and the preacher's gonna get preached, the kids are gonna do their thing. And you know, you know pretty well what to expect. We don't expect Jesus to show up. We know. When we come in, we do it, and 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 we become real familiar with it, and it becomes real comfortable, and we come and kind of do it, and it kind of becomes a routine. But it, we don't hold a whole lot of expectation to it, and we don't expect a whole lot out of it. But what would happen if Jesus come and wrecked our church service? And I'm talking about not wrecking it, wrecking it in a bad way. I'm talking about wrecking it in a good way. Wrecking it with meaning and purpose and coming and doing something greater than we ever expected. And, and, and all of a sudden, our lives are filled with this great big spark of revival and joy. And all of a sudden, there's meaning and there's purpose. And all of a sudden, Jesus showed up. What could happen? What could happen in school? What could happen in our what could happen in your workplace? What could happen in your relationships? What could happen in your marriage? What could happen with your kids? What could I mean when Jesus becomes real and you touch the hem of his garment? I mean, he's there and the reality is thick and you know that he is there. And you're not saying, Lord, I'm, re I'm not going to resist the reality of when Jesus comes to bring joy. Because Jesus wants you to experience more in life than just mere happiness. Happiness is surface level. 
And most of us will settle for happy. Comfort, happy, easy. When Jesus wants to get down to the depth of the foundation of our soul and be the the most satisfying drink to the soul that draws us to the Father. That's what He comes to give. And Jesus said it would be like this. He said it would be like that there's this wellspring of life that comes down from the depths of your, of your belly. It's like it, it's living waters that flows from our life. You think that brings... You say, well, there's Monday morning. Yes, there is. And all of a sudden, Monday morning has meaning. All of a sudden, you're in the moment with your with the kids, and you recognize that God is in those moments with those kids. He's there. He's there. So here's what you do. Let me give you a few little things here, because I got a few thoughts on. First one is this: Don't fill your life with temporal but fleeting happiness. You'll miss a deeper level of joy in relationship with Christ. Most people are, are satisfied with just being happy. Don't be. No. You yield to the deeper, satisfying relationship of joy in Christ. And ask that the Holy Spirit fill you at that deep level. And when Jesus fills you there, what you will find, you, you will find that all of, uh, all of, uh, again, all of a sudden, all of these things that are down in the foundation of your life will begin to surface and again bring meaning to all the other activities of your busy life. Number two is this. Learn to enjoy God more in the moments of life. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, and His commandments was, it was to love, you remain in my love. Just as I obeyed my Father's commands, remain in my love. I've told you these things so that you may be filled with church. No. You can be filled with what? Say it. Joy. Okay, you're going to make me happy. No. Your joy will do what? You see it? Now, I don't know about you, but there, I mean, there's times in my life I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'm needing some of that overflow stuff. We sang about it this morning. But you know what? We didn't sing like we had it. I'm not judging you. <laughs> it's middle church. Okay? <laughs> we're, in mid- we're, in, we're in middle church. Okay? We're in middle church. I mean, you, you all know what I'm talking about. Come on, talk to me. We come in, we go, we know, we know what to expect. We've sung overflow how many times? You're the overflow. Right? Let your mercy rain, let your mercy Yeah. <laughs> What's for lunch? Steve Bates, come back. I got an announcement to make. And I'm like, get up there and sit down. You're an elder. 
<laughs> you, know, you know, worship. You know, where's Steve at? Steve here? There he is. <laughs> you know, you get it? I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, okay? I'm just being honest. Okay, you kind of flow in and out of it, you know? And, you know, if God can get a moment in, man, that's good. So, you know, learn to enjoy God in the moments of life. You know, I even enjoyed Steve Bates. I'm thinking, okay, God's even in this moment back here. Even though I'm in the overflow. Okay? Your joy will overflow. Now, I don't know about you, but I could handle some of that in my life. How about you? Anybody here? How does that happen? That's a good question. That happens as we yield to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and are aware of Jesus and enjoying Him in the moment. For anybody here who's raised Presbyterian or you studied the Westminster Confession, the chief end of man is to glorify God, the very first one, and I always found this intriguing. And to enjoy Him forever. You're not going to get busy up there. You're going to be totally aware of Jesus and His presence. So you learn to enjoy Him now. So what do you do? You, you hit the pause button sometimes and say, when you find yourself getting too frantic, hurried, and emptied, you hit the pause button and say, okay, Lord, I welcome you into this moment because you're the Lord of my life. Sometimes that's the reset. You reset it. In other words, you, you, get, you get out of the flow of it and you begin to say, okay, wait a minute, this, there's a new king on the throne and I want his meaning to come into my life with this. So, now here is the reality, is that joy becomes, as we learn to enjoy God, joy is the byproduct. It's what is produced in the life of a Christian or the life of a believer. It is the byproduct. Joy is the byproduct of enjoying God in the moments of life. It's the byproduct. But this is not the end of it. And see, most of us go around looking for happiness. Happiness surface. When you get down deeper, you look at joy and you begin to enjoy God and your relationship. And I'm just, I'm just asking you, do you, are you enjoying God? Here's the difference. Here's what happens in our life when we really begin to enjoy God day in and day out rather than just surviving. When we begin to enjoy God, on, on, when we come in here, the overflow, you're like, yes, thank you God for the overflow. And you're singing out of the overflow. You're singing about the overflow because you're walking in the overflow. Right? In other words, it's been cultivated in our life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then Sunday comes and all of a sudden we sing overflow. And man, it's like it's just welling up within us. And we do it together as a congregation. And hopefully we create, a, there's a flow that is being created of joy. That's what's characteristic of the people of God. Love, joy, peace. 
patience, goodness, self-control, mercy. Joy is the byproduct of enjoying God. Now here's the here's the reality, because some of you here, and we have a saying around here. I don't know if y'all I am weak as water. You ever say that? Weak as water. Just weak. There's sometimes I feel weak emotionally, spiritually. Now I'm I'm real strong when I'm standing up here. Because I, I know that there's an empowerment that's not It's not naturally derived, and it really is, and I'm not just saying it. It's not. Because I deal with Monday mornings, too. And I deal with life, just like you do. And sometimes you don't feel strong. But you know what the Bible says? That, That the joy of the Lord, now get this. So the presence of Christ, enjoying God, enjoying Christ, is joy is the byproduct, and the byproduct of that is layered strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. You, and you're as, you are only as, now. Now get this: you are as only as spiritually strong as the depth of your joy. This is the last one. You're only as strong in the Lord as the depth of your joy. He says, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as the deer able to tread upon the heights. You say, man, I'm feeling weak. You know what? Tap down to joy. That is not, listen, bypass happiness. Get down to joy. And what you will find. See, that's what God's created us for. Most of us just settle for happiness. And the pursuit of it. In frenzied activities. Which leads to emptiness. And loss of meaning. If there's a reset button in your life today, what would it be? What would it be? What would it look like? Maybe maybe it is just... Maybe it is just hitting that reset button and saying, okay, God, I want your meaning, your purpose, your life to transcend all this stuff that I'm dealing with. For some of you, it may be the brokenness of life because life really hurts sometimes and it really, really does. And that doesn't minimize it. But I can't tell you this. I I can't explain this in your experience, but even in the midst of pain, you can know that God is with you. And you know you can know that His peace is there by His presence. And, you, and, and a, a, eventually the morning will turn to joy. Eventually. What do you need to yield? What is it that just worries the life out of you? That leaves you afraid and lonely and fearful and all those things. What if you yielded that to the king? How about your sin? Things that you've struggled with so long. 
doing your life your own way, on your terms, being your own boss. What could happen if you gave the reins over to Jesus? What could he do? If you ever get convinced that he's a God who loves you more infinitely and deeply than you even care about yourself. He's got your best interest in mind. Always does. He created you. What could happen if you turned your life over to him? Let's pray. Father, we forfeit a lot of peace we forfeit a lot of joy I pray that you would set that reset button in front of us today and however the Holy Spirit does His work, we ask that you do that. To draw us to Christ. Who loves us infinitely more than we could ever imagine. And who comes down even the midst of our frenzied activities that are often meaningless. To bring us purpose. I pray that you'd give us faith to open up that part of our heart. To simply say, yes, Lord, willingly. That our lives may indeed reflect the glory of Christ. Open our eyes that we can see you in the moment. And open our hearts that we can trust you. And empower us that our feet may walk into your will, into your plan, into your places. For the glory of Jesus. In his name we ask and in his name we pray.